Welcome to Spot on Safety, the program designed for safety professionals. Spot on Safety is brought to you by iWorkWise, providing safety knowledge when you need it. For more information about iWorkWise, go to iWorkWise.com. Welcome to Spot on Safety, episode 26, Fall Protection, with your hosts, Amy Does and Dan Smiley. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Dan. You know, in 2010, 635 workers in the United States died from fall accidents. In the news just, oh, six hours ago, we read about a window cleaner who fell from scaffolding while cleaning the windows of a bank, broke his leg, fell 20 feet. And two days ago, OSHA cited, let me find the reference here, OSHA cited Twin Pines Construction, Inc. for alleged repeated serious and other than serious violations of workplace safety standards following an inspection in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And in general, the results were a failure to provide fall protection and adequate scaffolding. They're fined $180,100. With all of these statistics and articles in mind, today's topic is going to be fall protection. Well, it's a great topic. Um, it happens to people all the time, like you found um, every day. And uh, people have a high likelihood of getting seriously injured from falls. And this is also something that a person could take some of these ideas and use them around the house, too, um, to uh, try to avoid uh, falling off their roof and, and other things. Well, uh, and falling off the roof has been on my mind for some time. I've got gutters that need to be cleaned. I think we might have mentioned that in the last week. And I finally found somebody who's licensed and bonded who will do the gutters. And it was quite a search to find somebody who wasn't just, you know, the the guy who mows the lawn and says, sure, I'll climb up on the roof. And, you know, they installed an anchor point on the top of my roof. The previous owners did. And I th- we'll come to anchor points in a few minutes because I have some questions about about that anchor point uh, but you know there's it's a, a long fall up there and normally in my old house anyway with its single story roof i i would get up there not that you can't get injured from a, a height of 10 feet you certainly can but i was more likely to do it than i am to do it now oh yeah it's um you know i i have a cousin basically who, who was married to somebody and they had worked um cleaning out gutters and pressure washing roofs and doing that kind of work, washing windows um, for 30 years. And then it, uh, a couple of years ago, they fell off a two-story building, and I, I think he was in the hospital for over eight months. Um, still can't walk right, so he's getting close to retirement, and uh, and uh, that's what happened. So miserable consequences. Um, it really makes sense to, to uh, pay attention in this area. Well, in in your book, you give a story about uh, an accidental longlining vessel where the worker had to climb the mast to work on sodium lights. He had to hang on to the ladder with one hand and use the other hand to work on the lights, 
and he ended up falling 24 feet to the deck, struck his head, had multiple fractures to his skull, and although he was lucky enough to survive it, he is living for the rest of his life with brain damage. That is just not worth the risk. No, it's not. And and this is one of these areas where I'm sure you do it, Dan, I have too, is you just get up there for a second um, and you, you know, it's just one of those things. You just have to do something up high. And so you, you want it to make it quick. You don't want to make a big production out of it. Um, and unfortunately, it's, it's also one of those areas where people, things aren't designed properly because you don't design safety into the job. Safety is so often this add-on. Um, where, okay, let's say you want to wear fall protection and you own it and you're, you have your harness and you have your lanyard and you have an anchorage, but how the heck are you going to attach it to your roof, you know, and set it up properly? I mean, um, I, maybe by the time we're old, you know, they'll install anchorages when they install roofing and it'll make it easy for anybody to clean a chimney or clean gutters or roof safely. Um, why not just leave those little cheap galvanized metal things in place and give yourself a bunch of anchorages? But the world isn't really designed. They don't, they don't integrate um, the, the roofing job or the operations with the safety. And so we're forced with these safety choices. Um, you know, what are you going to do? You have nothing to tie off to. Well, you're going to do it anyway. Exactly. And, and that, that's really the problem. So there, there are really two reasons to, to, to talk about this. One, we've covered pretty clearly, people get hurt doing this all the time. Whether it's a, a fall of 20 feet, uh, the citation from OSHA that I was referring to in the newspaper with the construction contractor, he had people working as high as 57 feet unprotected. But a coworker of mine that I mentioned in an earlier podcast who simply fell off the ladder at 8 feet ended up breaking five ribs. It doesn't have to be a, a huge height. Uh, but not only because everybody gets hurt, if you're an employer, it's the law. OSHA says that you're going to provide fall protection when working over certain heights. Not only does OSHA say it, but state safety organizations say it as well. But this is a really confusing thing to get your hands around because everybody provides a different height. Maybe you could take us through some of the different heights that OSHA, various states, and other regulations talk about for requiring fall protection. Yeah, you know, and this is an area I really hope that gets cleaned up in future OSHA rules. I mean, it's almost like you're you're sifting, you know, you're panning for gold and trying to find the height where you're required to have fall protection. And what's interesting is is with OSHA's rules, it's entirely, nearly entirely dependent on what industry you're in. I mean, it's the same human body, right, who, who's uh, susceptible to the same types of injuries from at height of X. Um, but if you're in general industry or in a lot of states, uh, the height you have to uh, provide fall protection is four feet. In maritime, it's five. In construction, it's six, unless you're on a scaffold or working on a roof, and then it's 10. If you're doing steel erection, it's 15. Um, and to find all those numbers, good luck, because you're going to have to maybe go online, go to OSHA's website, sift through the regulations, and often those numbers aren't in the fall protection section. Um, they're in the guardrail section. So what a total nightmare. I, I just feel sympathy for employers who um, 
are just trying to figure this out on their own and say, well, you know, what should our policy be? It's going to take them a half a day to figure out what's uh, what's actually required. I mean, there should be a table at the beginning of these standards um, that tells you exactly and clearly without having to sift through a bunch of uh, regulations um, to try to find the number. So there's just um, there's no wonder there's confusion, and that confusion makes people less safe. Um, and also there's this whole, I don't know if it comes from lobbying or because, you know, OSHA is essentially uh, – in, in some ways, a political organization um, that when these rulemakings came out, people got their different wishes and what height you would need fall protection at. Um, but that's kind of the story of it, Dan, and, and uh, it sure doesn't make it easy for people. So if I'm an employer and I'm going to go and begin to look into what my requirements are for fall protection. My first step is to assess my workplace. Can you take us through the assessment process for analyzing my fall protection needs? Well, I think um, you want to look at tasks that uh, people have to do from elevated heights. Um, the, the first line of defense and the best line are probably uh, you know, not having people work up high if that's possible. So designing work so it doesn't have to be done like that. Second choice is probably having guardrails or built-in kind of engineering controls to prevent falls. Um, and if if it can't, if your situation can't be solved by by one of those methods, um, then you're in a situation where you have to provide maybe personal fall arrest systems or fall restraint systems or. Um, some way for someone to tie off securely. Um, so to assess your workplace, you're, you're pretty much looking at uh, work areas that are uh, more than X feet off the ground, depending what industry you're in, and uh, really taking a look at, okay, if someone has to work up there, then what do they do? Um, and it's too much to ask your employees to do it, I think, um, and make those decisions because, like, like we just talked about, Maybe you want to go up and clean your gutters and there aren't any tie-offs. So you have the equipment and you know the rules, but there's no practical method to comply. So anybody would just probably go and do that work anyway. So um, as part of the assessment, the employer has to put themselves in the person who's going to do the work's shoes and um, uh, install anchorages uh, and and decide, you know, are they going to have a six-foot lanyard? Um, are they going to have a, a self-retracting lifeline? Um, can, is there something we can do with fall restraint um, here so that w- one of the one of the uh, commonly misunderstood situations with fall protection is is let's say you have a body harness, a six foot lanyard, and your anchorage. Um, when that thing deploys, it's going to expand. So you're going to fall your your height. Um, your six-foot lanyard is going to expand another couple feet. You're going to have some stretch in your body harness, and pretty much to use a six-foot lanyard um, and have it fully deploy without you hitting the ground before it's finished, you need to be about 16 feet off the ground. So if you're less than 16 feet off the ground, often a six-foot lanyard uh, won't really help you. Well, when we start to look at the the fall numbers that you were given earlier, four feet for some areas of the regulation, six feet for others, ten feet, uh, none of that. That equipment wouldn't work for any of those. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Well, here's a, a part I've been quite confused about. My understanding is that 
fall protection is not required if you're working on portable or, or fixed ladders that are less than 20 feet high. Is that really the case, or am I misreading that? Uh, you, uh, cages are required on fixed ladders um, 20 feet or higher. Um, and in lieu of having a cage, you can have a ladder climbing device. I, I like these. These are a stainless cable that's engineered. You buy it as an engineered package. You don't put your own stainless cable on your ladder. But you buy this this uh, engineered cable and, and bolt it to your, your rungs, and it goes up the center. You wear a body harness with a with a D-ring on the front, um, and you use kind of a rope grab uh, so you can use your hands and feet to climb um, up and down without any interference, but it acts like a seat belt and holds you if uh, if you happen to slip on the ladder rung. I like these because if you really think about it, if you were to fall and you had a cage, uh, it wouldn't really prevent you from being injured necessarily. Um, so fixed ladders over 20 feet, uh, you have to... Uh, have a cage or some kind of fall protection. On portable ladders, it's even higher. Um, you, you're not required to use fall protection on portable ladders um, for the most part at most people's normal uh, working heights with those ladders. That's really quite interesting. Well, we should probably talk about some definitions for fall protection gear. We've already been sort of uh, tossed out a few terms, and there are, there are eight first one is an anchorage, and I said we'd come back to this because I have an anchorage that was installed at the peak of my roof. It's a, it's a metal tab with a ring on it. I have no idea what that, how they secured that. It, it's not, I can't, have no idea if it's rated to anything. Uh, and there are requirements for these anchorage points, are there not? Oh, yeah. And um, it's pretty amazing. You don't need a, a a lot of a ring. You see some of these uh, ones they sell in the store, and you just have to install it with the proper nails that are the certain length and whatnot, and um, and put it on on the roof. But every anchorage has to be capable of supporting a weight of five thousand pounds. So that's like a full size Ford F one fifty pickup truck hanging off of that anchorage point. So. They do that because it gives you somewhat of a safety margin. Because if you have a 200-pound person uh, who's falling, and you fall maybe six feet before your your uh, lanyard starts to deploy and everything, um, you're you, you have some mass and you have some acceleration, and you're actually uh, exerting several thousand pounds of force against that anchorage. So the requirement for those is 500 pound 5,000 pound strength. Um, and they do have to be installed correctly to attain that rating. Since I didn't install it, and I don't know who did, I'd be hesitant to use it myself. Yeah, and uh, hopefully they followed the uh, the recommendations, but maybe you want to replace the one you have with one that you can be confident in. Um, it, you know, it usually uh, or often they come with the screws or nails in the in the kit with the with the uh, bracket, so I think often they get installed correctly. But yeah, you know, you don't know if it's coming out, um, and maybe you don't know how good the wood is that it's uh, nailed into. Well, the next definition is body belt, and I don't, I don't think in most cases these can be used any longer. What, what is a body belt, and what are the rules surrounding them? 
Um, a body belt is just like a belt you'd wear in your pants, but a little bit wider, maybe like a weightlifting belt. And these um, are virtually banned for all practical purposes. Some people are still allowed to wear them um, for fall restraint, like maybe people who work in utilities. But um, for all em general employers, um, body belts, um, you know, we've moved past that to the harness because the harness distributes the force of the fall across your body. Um, if you were actually to fall and, and deploy one of these, you'd probably be sore where those straps are. But if you wore a body belt, it could just snap your back in half. You know, it could just, uh, it would cause probably uh, some pretty permanent and serious damage. So body belts um, were, are basically banned for all practical purposes. Okay, so you started to talk about body harnesses. Uh, what is the definition of a harness, and does that have, can I make my own? Okay, do I have to buy it from someone? Does it need a rating? Um, usually harnesses are rated by ANSI. If it was me, I would I would buy one that was ANSI um, rated. Uh, and basically it, it just has a series of straps, uh, a strap that goes around each, each leg at the upper thigh, um, some that go around your shoulders. There's a D-ring that's supposed to be located in the center of your back. Um, so if you buy an ANSI harness, you're going to be, or yeah, an ANSI body harness, you're, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Um, but the next thing that's very critical, it's like anchorages. You can have an anchorage, but it has to be right. It has to be capable of supporting the 5,000 pounds. Well, with one of these body harnesses, we can buy one that's ANSI, but now we have to wear it right. Um, and one common mistake people make is they wear it with a lot of slack in it and um, it's more comfortable than wearing it tight um, and also probably looks a little better but uh, uh, actually if you were to fall and you had a lot of slack in your body harness that slack would be taken up in your fall and it would result in uh, more likelihood of injury to yourself um, and it also, some of these harnesses have a chest piece, and that chest piece uh, is a, a strap that usually goes across um, your chest. But it, you can imagine if you have a lot of slack and you were to pull really hard on that D-ring, um, you basically could pull that strap up into your throat uh, when, you, when you fall. So these body harnesses have to be worn correctly and attached correctly, um, and they have to be snug. Um, so you shouldn't be able to easily fit uh, two fingers in your leg strap um, that are perpendicular to your leg. Um, they should be fairly, fairly snug. Uh, also, the D-ring should be in the center of your back, not higher, not lower. That's how they're designed to be worn. Okay. The next definition is a deceleration device. I think you, you mentioned one when we were talking about uh, ladders. What's a deceleration device? Um, the most common one you see is, is like a rip-type rip lanyard where um, it has a, a fabric or stitching in it that's designed to um, come apart and slow down your fall. So it will um, basically decelerate you um, when you fall and it starts coming into play. Um, it's kind of a rip-away uh, situation. So when you're done with it deploying, it's longer than when you started. So your six-foot lanyard is, is actually quite a bit longer because it has to uh, unzip, un so to speak, um, to slow down your fall. I've, I've seen some that were looked like winches. What, what are, how are those rigged up to work? 
Well, there there are some actual winches like uh, people use for confined spaces and whatnot that you would hook to somebody's harness. Um, but usually those aren't worn for fall protection necessarily. But um, there's a kind that they do wear for fall protection called a self-retracting lanyard. And they look like a little winch almost. It's a, it's kind of a, usually like a big block um, that hooks onto the anchorage and then you, you use that with a lanyard. Um, and the, the lanyard's built in and it uh, unfurls just like the seatbelt in your car. And when you, you know, walk away from the anchorage, it will give you more uh, wire. And when you walk back, it rolls itself back up. So it's a self-retracting lanyard. And if you fall, it'll ratchet just like the seatbelt in your car. It'll stop um, wherever it's drawn out to. So those are called um, LRs or self-retracting lanyards. And those can be a good solution um, for some circumstances, especially if you're working and you, you don't want to use a six foot lanyard and you can stay close to your point of anchorage where they get a little bit, uh, iffy is if you walk, let's say sideways away from your anchorage, um, or perpendicular from your anchorage. And then, then you slip, you could see that you could slip down and swing right back down cause to the, um, point below your anchorage. So you could end up then with quite a distance of a fall um, if you go out too far to the sides. Yeah, not only could you have a longer fall, if I'm working 10 feet off the ground and I walk out 15 feet perpendicular to my anchorage, I'm going to hit the ground. Yeah, so um, they they work great uh, when they're used properly, but uh, you can also use them. uh, Training becomes really important because you can use them incorrectly and uh, increase your risk of injury. So you, you, you call that a self-retracting lanyard. Uh, one of the definitions that we need to cover is a lanyard itself. So what do you mean by a lanyard? A lanyard is what is between your body harness and your anchorage. So the, these three things are often recur- referred to as the ABCs. So anchorage, body harness, um, and then connection. Um, so your lanyard is what's connecting you to your anchorage and your, between you and your anchorage. So you can have a self-retracting lanyard. You could have a six-foot uh, basically deceleration lanyard, they're, they're, whatever is in between you and your anchorage. But I need something that is designed to work with the fall protection gear, correct? I can't just go you know, tie a piece of rope onto the anchorage and onto my belt. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. You have to have something that's designed. Um, there are some pretty, you know, serious standards for what those those uh, D-ring connectors um, are going to be made of, uh, or carabiners, or however you snap in. Um, people have actually fallen out of their lanyard because maybe it got wrapped around something, and then the gate opens, um, and they actually get unclipped as they're falling from their anchorage. Um, so there's been a lot of thought into the design of these clips and connectors. Um, so basically, you, you need an ANSI-rated lanyard, whatever type it is, um, to make sure it's been designed properly. But also, you know, a rope doesn't give you any deceleration. So you can imagine tying a rope to yourself and then jumping six feet down. Uh, you're going to stop with a lot of force. There's going to be no absorption uh, at all. Uh, and you're going to get seriously hurt, even if you're wearing a body harness and you're wearing it right. You have to have some kind of shock absorption 
um, because there's a lot of forces at work um, in your fall. So uh, I guess another point about any ropes is whenever you tie a knot in a rope, you lose 50% of the strength, right? So uh, our anchorage has to be capable of holding 5,000 pounds. Our lanyard has to be capable of 5,000 pounds. Um, and we have to have some means to slow down our fall so we're not just, uh, you know, it, it, people don't jump off, you, you know, they jump off using bungees, right? When they jump off of a bridge, they have a little bit of shock absorption in it. You wouldn't want to jump off using a, a, just a rope. Yeah, roger that. Now the next definition is that of a lifeline. A lifeline, um, you can have vertical or horizontal lifelines, and they are lines that are that you would attach your lanyard to. So basically, the, the lifeline would be attached to an anchorage, um, and then you would attach your lanyard to the lifeline. So it's a way to uh, provide for more flexibility in how you hook up to your anchorages and how you can work maybe across a roof, for example, or going down a roof so that you don't, I mean, clearly if you're working on a roof, maybe the roof is wider than six feet and you need a little bit more room um, to work. So you'd use a vertical lifeline um, and work down it with maybe a rope grab device. And so you could be, you could work up and down that roof pretty easily um, and uh, where you'd be connected would actually be moving. So vertical lifelines are good for that purpose. Um, horizontal lifelines have to be engineered. You can't just set these up yourself because um, where you fall, um, you still need 5,000 5, pounds worth of support off of your anchorage. So you have to have them supported correctly and engineered so that when you fall at any point that you're pulling on that horizontal lifeline is plenty strong enough and it won't all come down on top of you. Roger that. Okay, so the next definition we need to discuss is kind of a mouthful, the personal fall arrest system, or PFAS. Uh, personal fall arrest system is just your, it's just all of that put together uh, that um, basically stops your fall and slows it down, um, and, and that's what they mean by fall arrest. I, I've heard three different terms tossed around in the workplace. One is fall arrest, one is fall restraint, and the other is work positioning device. What's the definition and how do I bring these together? Well, that's a good question. Um, fall arrest is, uh, is a set of equipment basically that stops your fall. So you have already uh, fallen and it slows you down and stops, stops uh, the injury from happening. So that's fall arrest. Fall restraint means it restrains you from falling and it limits your, your fall distance to two feet. So you can fall no more than two feet. So it restrains you from falling. Um, work positioning is basically a devices that you can use to uh, support your body weight when you're working at an elevation. So you can work with both hands. And that has to, you, you can't, you're not allowed when you're using a work positioning device to fall at all. So it's a zero tolerance for falling. Your work restraint is a two foot tolerance for falling. Um, and your fall arrest is it has to, has to start slowing you down, um, within six feet, uh, once you've already fallen. But they're not really interchangeable, are they? I mean, those are, there's three totally different types of systems. 
All right, so that would answer the question that we were talking about before, where when when talking about fall arrest systems and how could you possibly use one if you had a fall of four or six or even ten feet you were protecting yourself from, the answer is you can't. You need either a fall restraint or a work positioning device. Right. You, you have to... Uh you have to take into account how far between the person and the ground and then come up with the right system um, that will protect them adequately. Well, that's a lot of different equipment to look at. There must be quite a bit of training required by the regulation. Well, it's kind of surprising. Um, there, there isn't a lot of detail there. So this is kind of a more of a performance-based training where you have to show people how to use this stuff before they use it, um, which makes good sense. Um, and if you are going to design these systems, you have to be uh, trained to basically uh, design them and have the engineering background to do it. And if you're going to install these things, you should be, um, we've heard this term before, Dan, is competent. You should be a competent person. So whatever it takes to make you competent to install this and set it up for people. Um, and uh and, yeah, if you're just a worker using it, you just have to know how to clip on and clip out and basically your limitations don't go too far off to the side and whatnot. So the, the training's pretty pretty broad in this area. Um, there, there are more training requirements in the construction standards for sure, and that's where you start seeing competent people um, come in. But in general industry, the, the expectation is just uh, you should know what you're doing at all levels um, without a lot of specifics. That kind of comes to the end of my notes. Is there anything else that we should cover? Well, I, I think with all of these systems, let's say you design it right and you install it right and you're using it right, I think the final thing is probably ongoing inspection. Um, as the stuff ages and you use it, you want to make sure um, prior to use that everything's still in good shape. You don't have any rot going on in your in your ropes. Uh, you didn't burn or tear uh a hole in anything. Your connectors aren't all rusty and nasty. Um, they're maintained in, in working order. Um, you would look probably for mold and mildew. Uh, make sure that they're still serviceable. So, and that's that's part of the OSHA requirements too. I mean, you have to maintain this stuff and, and make sure it's appropriate for use. But I can't really stress enough with fall protection that, um, you know, buying a couple uh, body harnesses and hanging them on the wall and saying, okay, we're good to go, is does not really cut it. I mean, the, you can kind of tell from our conversation, I'm sure, that some of this gets a little complicated. And um, if you're going to have people wearing fall protection, um, it has to really be thought through uh, before the job. Well, thank you, Amy. That's all we have time for today. As usual, your help is really appreciated. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Spot on Safety. If you would like to ask a question or leave a comment, you can email us. The address is spotonsafety at iworkwise.com. 